be a good boy. Because when you're a good boy, you feel like you are loved. And then what happens is that teaches you deep inside your subconscious that unless you're good, you are not loved. And the problem with that is we all know, and this I do a lot of work around this, our own darkness. Like, we all know we're bad sometimes. We all know we have thoughts that the, the outside world won't really like. Well, guess what? The subconscious lesson we got off mum or dad or whoever was that part of you is not acceptable and therefore you're not good enough. What is up, everybody? And welcome to the Men on Purpose podcast or welcome back if you are a regular and thank you for being a regular. Thank you for being here in general. So the mission, let's review. The mission of the Men on Purpose movement, right, is to elevate, educate, empower, enrich, and evolve men to be on purpose in order to reveal their most authentic self and live the most fulfilling and regret-free life possible. Right? Easy enough, but it's not that easy because it takes freaking work. Well, today, what we're going to do with Paul Cope, who's my guest, is talk about the work. Now, you're probably wondering in the, in the title, what is a programming experience? Well, that's what trauma is. But instead of using the word trauma, it's just an experience of how you were programmed. It's how you were programmed. And it's totally cool. And Paul and I will talk about some deep level stuff. And we're also going to trash the traditional personal development world just in case you want to have some fun. Cool. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about how traditional stuff just doesn't work because it's an addition versus a subtraction model. We're going to talk about simple, not easy. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, people who change their lives, changing your lifestyle, generational stuff. We're going to talk about unpacking. We're talking about parenting traumas, child traumas, breaking points in Paul's story, uh, billionaire suicide and billionaire depression, depression of, of entrepreneurs. Paul and I are very similar. Paul's just over 40. I'm just under 40. And we were very high level entrepreneurs that got to a certain point and kept getting to that point and kept getting to a point higher and a point higher and a point higher. And we realized, oh my God, this isn't the answer. What do we do now? Life isn't authentic. Life is not aligned. What do we do? And so Paul and I are what I would call the fortunate ones who made a choice because all it is is a choice. Paul and I are the ones who made choices to change trajectory, right? To eliminate and to learn and to fill in with new skills and habits and mindset and behaviors to live the life we actually want, which comes from casting a vision. That's what we do in our front runner events. That's what we do in our coaching business. We take you through a four-step model. Illuminate, eliminate, calibrate, accelerate. That's easy. That's nice and easy. You got to know what you don't know. You got to get rid of what doesn't serve you. You got to dial it all in, and then you can gas pedal down. It's that easy. So speaking of that, if you need us for coaching, one-on-one or group, we've got some amazing new group programs coming out that are real effective, like super effective in breaking down these pieces and and clearing out the non-serving, but also building a mission, a vision, and a purpose for your life that is clear. So you've got that North Star. You've got that port that you're going to, so you understand what wind and sea are favorable. That's a Seneca quote, by the way. So we've got our coaching stuff, the mental purpose coaching stuff. We've got our front runner events. We've got our group coaching. We've got the biggest free thing we've got besides this resource wise is our mental purpose community. The mental purpose community on Facebook is a free resource. It's got weekly coaching. It's kind of like almost by the time you're going to listen to this, Aaron and I are in there three times a week coaching for free. Think about it. You want what you want, but you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can just get in there. You're already listening to this. Get in the mental purpose community. 
get into uh, uh, where you can, well, join the Mental Purpose community. You can download our free ebook, which is a two-hour coaching course, literally me on video just coaching you through our four models. That's free too. This is our mission. We want as many people effective, positively, powerfully, and purposely as possible. So take action. People who are on purpose, take, that's right, action. Take action right now, literally. Hit me up on at Mental Purpose on Instagram, at Mental Purpose Podcast, and say, Ian, I need help. Or go on to Facebook and go to the groups and say, the Mental Purpose community, sign up. Literally, just answer the questions, I'll let you in, and we're good to go. And then be active, be active in the group and ask people for help. Join a pod, join a, join a purpose pod and hold accountable, be held accountable. So that's it. All right, let's get to Paul Cope. I think that's it. I think that's all I need. Hit me up on Facebook or Instagram if you need me. Other than that, here's Paul Cope. Enjoy. All right, Paul, literally your story is my story. It's like... The majority of men out there, and I say this, the majority of men who want something more for their lives, the majority of men who are pushing a little bit more in life, they're not, it's not the, the general, like, just kind of get on the track and ride it to the grave kind of guy. It's the, it's more of the go-getter guy. Not that there's anything wrong with the other side, but the guys we're talking to are these guys that are pushing for more, but they're also taking on a lot more, um, I don't know, damage, collateral damage from the risks they take or the traumas they have or whatever it is. I'm going to read the audience. I just read it in the intro, but I'm going to read this section again from your, from your, um, uh, from your bio. So he transformed his life after finding himself in his mid thirties, depressed and suicidal, despite achieving everything we're told which that should make us happy. He tore everything down, spending tens of thousands of pounds, thousands of hours, and all his energy dedicated to finding the root cause of why he felt unfulfilled despite everything he's achieved. That literally explains 90% of the high achieving guys out there. You have yep. achieved, you hit the goal, wonderful, but nobody gave you champagne and nobody gave you a lap dance and nobody gave you streamers and balloons and none of that stuff happened. You're like, oh my God, this isn't it. Holy shit. And now you're literally in this pattern because your habits are set and you are doomed for a fulfilled life. You're doomed. On Facebook, it looks amazing. On the outside, it looks great. But on the inside, why are we cracking? Why are we melting down? Like, Get your story out to the audience and then Let's dig in. So my, my story starts, uh, and this is something I, I dig into lots in the book, and I'm with in, when I coach clients. starts right the way back when I was a little kid. So yeah. I was, the short version of it, I was basically, before I can remember, sitting in a car with my dad, and a, another car pulled up alongside us at the traffic lights, and it was a black Porsche. And I said to my dad, whose is that car? And he says, it's all lawyers. And I said, I want to be a lawyer then. And that's it. That's where my story starts. Because I come from a a very normal background, a very working class background. So I was the first of my my family to go to university. So when when their son from this background says, I want to be a lawyer, it's, it's like celebrated. Like, look at this. I used to get rolled out at parties. It would be... Tell, tell everybody what you said you wanted to be. And right. I, I look back to when I was a kid. And in the UK, I've, I've noticed this in, in different interviews, we have do, two different types of lawyers. We have solicitors and barristers. 
So barristers are the ones you see with the funny white curly wigs that go to court and solicitors basically do outside of court work. So I I couldn't really speak properly when I was a little boy. I was very shy, very quiet. And what he actually told me was it was our solicitors and I couldn't even say the word properly. So it was this like running joke that was told all the time. Paul wants to be a solicitor and they'd say to people, tell them, tell people what you want to be. And I'd say, I want to be a solicitor. And every, all these grown-ups would all clap and all be very happy. So I'm getting this reinforcement constantly. I always say it's like Inception, the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, right, right. It's exactly how it works. And I, I, so I go right the way through school. I was one of those kids in school. If you said to me at 10 years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wouldn't even hesitate. I want to be a solicitor. I want to be a lawyer. And I went right the way through school. And people would say to me, I'm so jealous because you know what you want to be. And I'd be like, well, I don't know what to tell you. And then I got all the way into university. First kid in my family, as I say, to go to university. And I'm, I remember this vividly, sitting in a classroom, and they started to send lawyers in to speak to us, to tell us how we go, to, once we leave university and graduate, how do you become a lawyer? And I vividly remember this young, cocky lawyer standing there, and he said to, said to this room, he said, you will be asked in interviews why you want to be a lawyer. And I, I remember sitting there really arrogant at the time thinking, I've got that boxed. And he said, there's one, there's one answer you're not allowed to give. I was like, okay. And it was like, the, it was like the, the pause went on for a lifetime. And then he said, you can't say you always wanted to be one. We need to know why. Right. And it was like someone hit me around the head with a bat. <laughs> because that was my story I did always I always wanted to be one I, and that was when I that was I was 19 years old and I, that was when I first started to unpick this story because straight away then it was like I always talk to people like magic tricks it was like someone woke yeah. me up from hypnosis and yeah. I, I, I was destabilised I remember sitting down with one of my favourite uncles in a pub in my home city of Liverpool and talking to him about it and he said to me I said look I've realised my whole dream is based on this story about my dad in a car. If my dad had have said to me that day, you don't have to be a, a lawyer to have a nice car. You can do anything you want. Just follow your dream. I wouldn't be, a, I wouldn't be doing a law degree. And my uncle said to me, my uncle said, I, I get that. He said, but if you could be anything, what would you be? And I said, I'd be a footballer. I'd be a soccer player. I'm a big Liverpool fan from my home city. We were The pub we were sitting in was like 100 metres away from the stadium that Liverpool plays wow. in. And he said, to, I'll, the conversation again, vividly remember, he said, what's the chances of you being a footballer? And at the time, I was probably about five stone heavier than I am now. All fat, yeah. not muscle. I'd had a knee operation. I was in the middle of drinking my fifth pint of beer and I'd yeah, just yeah. had a pizza. And I said... The chances of me being a footballer are zero. And he said, exactly. And this is this type of advice is what advice is. I don't blame my uncle at all for this, but this is the advice that gets passed down through the generations. He said, sure. the thing is, Paul, he said, nobody enjoys their job. Nobody. So you might as well do something that makes you a lot of money. Okay. And I remember... It's actually good advice if you think about it, but it's not real, but it's actually good advice. Well, in the context of that life, context, yeah. I remember looking around me at all of the adults and thinking, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know a single grown-up who enjoyed their job. So right. that's that part. Of it. I carried on, got my law degree, did what, as you say, men like us do, nailed it. Started yeah. working for some of the biggest law firms in the world. 
soon got disillusioned with that. Set up my own law firm when I was 29 and everyone thought I was insane. I look back at photos now and think they were right. Like I look, I look like a baby. How I got any work when I was a, set up my first law firm was incredible. But went the way through, built that up, was incredibly successful, had my own big city centre office, took on incredible clients, made loads of money, and then just kept hitting this point of saying, when's, when do I feel good? When's the point when's where I feel it, good? Yeah. I keep yeah. making more money, I keep getting more clients, I set up a new business, I set up an online business, I took on about £300,000 in private equity investment. That looked like it was going to be a multi-million pound business. I got married to a beautiful woman. I owned this city centre apartment that you'd see lawyers living in like suits on TV. I, yeah, owned, yeah. I owned multiple properties that I rented out to, to students. I, I drove a flash car. And I remember vividly getting to the point where I was like, whilst I would say at the, at the point where to the outside world, my life was like the textbook life. Right. what everyone right. would say you should do. So at the peak of that, when my mum and dad were at their most proud, I was at my most depressed. Yeah. And I, I used to literally sit, I'd go into my city centre office on a Sunday afternoon with some wine or some whiskey, and I would plan how I was going to kill myself. Because, <laughs> because my dad was, when I was growing up, my dad was an insurance man. So I knew that if you, if you shot yourself or you committed suicide, your insurance doesn't pay out. And at the time, I had a lot of chronic illnesses, so my life insurance cover was really expensive. I was insured for a lot of money. And I remember thinking, well, I can't kill myself because firstly, it'll kill my parents, it'll kill my family. And secondly, my insurance won't pay out. So I used to think yep. about all these ways I could check out of life and hmm. it not look like suicide. So I would be like, I can get someone to shoot me. Do you know, I used to, I'd work 100 hours a week in the city, middle of a city centre. Right. I'm walking home at midnight. I mean, if I got shot, that would be upsetting for my parents and my family. But it wouldn't be as bad as me actually killing myself. Because it's yeah. just a freak accident. And I would go through yeah. all these, I would, I would even like, I was a lawyer. My job was to figure out details. So I'd be sitting there right. thinking, well, what if, they, what if they didn't do it right? What if they just gave me brain damage? What if they got yeah. caught? What if my insurance still didn't pay out? And I would go over and over this, and it just got to a point where I was like, there was lots of other things going on at the same time. I used to have explosions of rage, which is something I talk about a lot. Every now and then I would just, something would happen and I would just explode. And the, the breaking point for me was one day I was driving in the car. I'd already split up with my, with my ex-wife at, at the time, but she was in the car with me. And I, I had a, a rage explosion, which I thought I had under control. I thought I'd, I'd solved it. It hadn't happened for a couple of years. And I genuinely thought I was going to drive the car off the motorway at like 90 miles an hour. Because in that moment, I was like, I'm done. And I got home that day, and that was the moment I was like, I don't care what happens anywhere else in my life. This has got to stop. And that's when I changed everything. That was when I first went to see a therapist. Damn, man. That's, that's a, it's an incredible story and it's not far off of most high level guys. I literally would just pray to get sick. I'm running a seven figure coaching and real estate business. The real estate business I hated because it was 
incongruent. It was against my integrity. Like it was out of integrity. I did, I was only in it for the money. I loved some of the clients, loved them, but hated most of it. And it's funny. I just talked about this on a, on a live I did in our men on purpose, Facebook group, like right before you and I just got on where most people today don't know that side of me, but I would get enraged. Like, I mean, like say anything I needed to say to win or to get through to somebody. And that wasn't me. It wasn't me at all. It was just so, I was just so caught up in like, in like this life I was living that I didn't want to be living. And I didn't know how to get out because the money was so damn good. And the money created a lifestyle that made me really significant and impressive and better than, than others that didn't live that life and whatever. And like whatever bullshit I was thinking in my brain that was so out of whack, but it also gave me purpose. It gave me meaning. It gave me like a value. I didn't know what my value was if I couldn't generate a lot of money because I watched my dad as a very high level provider generate a lot of money for the family, but not know his other values except for like as a dad, you know? And I lived that cycle over and over and over and over again. And there was a, you know, there was a, a, a very close to divorce in there where my wife was like, look, I don't want to do this, but I can't take you anymore. Like you're, she used to call me a terrorist. She probably still does, but I'm a nice guy now. Um, and I'm one of the fortunate ones that didn't lose a, a, a great marriage because of who I was, you know, cause I, I, I don't want to bet on this, but I'm sure if you were the guy you are today, then your previous marriage may have worked, you know, may have been totally workable. Um, Possibly, but we, we could we could have a whole we could have a whole conversation just about that yeah. topic. <laughs> yeah, you'll never know. So I want to dig in for for just a little bit to the beginning, so that people can like so they're sitting in their cars or at the gym or wherever they're listening to this. Like it is. Um, I was talking with my friend Jamie about this yesterday. I was at his house in Detroit. Like trauma is little. It doesn't have to be big, like watching someone get shot or car accident. Or it, it can be small. And what he said, he stayed in his corporate job for 20 years. Um, and he was a coaching client of mine and he's just an incredible human and connector for people. And he said, um, you know, his parents would say, do they still like you over there? Are you still liked over there? Are you still appreciated? Are you still valuable to them? He's talking, talking about a big ass insurance company. That doesn't matter. There's 40 million insurance companies out. Like, it doesn't matter, this insurance company. People just switched to another one. It was a big one, like one that everybody would know. I'm not going to say the name. And that was traumatizing to him. Just like, just like in that moment with your dad, it was, it was like, I don't want to live this life that I'm living with my parents. I want that life, right? I want that life with the Porsche. I want that. And it was, I, I have, I have, about four or 500 pounds of magazines in my, in my shed right now that are not going to be moving with me when I move later this month. And the reason why I tell you that is because they're all yacht magazines, luxury car magazines, sports cars, private jets, and mansions. Because yeah. I thought in my mind that I would be, I'd be safe. When I got to that point, all those feelings inside, the anxiety, the depression that I felt, the ADD moments that... You, those people that always pounded on me that I'm a bad kid and I'm, I'm just, I'm never going to amount to anything that when I got to that point, 
they couldn't touch me anymore. They couldn't make me feel like that anymore. Mm. And so I obsessed, man. Even in college, like I collected these magazines, went through every one of them, circled. They have notes in the. Um, it's like a craziness. And I started to get some of those things, and it nothing happened. Nothing happened. And it and it is a sad reality for most of these. You know, obviously we're just talking about men like you and I who haven't been lucky enough or they haven't made the commitment yet to make the shift and change and realize that they're going to be okay, you know, and you got resources like us out there that can help you make that change because we have. So you wrote um, a really cool book that I think is very appropriate because most of the people are like, I'm not sure how I'm going to solve this. I'm in deep, man. I got four kids. I got two mortgages. I got a beach house. I got five cars. I don't know. How, I, I'm a partner in this law firm or in this business. I don't know how I'm going to solve this. How the fuck am I going to pull the plug on this? But they're prepared to live the rest of their life miserable, end it early, you know, from disease and bullshit, which I bet you don't have any of those health concerns now. Well, that, that's that's the last part of my journey is the, is, is the last of those are leaving my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, psychosomatic, like yep. stress related. 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. So then you leave, like, did you just pull the plug one day and just like check out to Bali or did you slowly dissolve it? How did you, how did you maneuver out of it? Because I know there's a guy listening right now who's like, all right, Paul, give me the blueprint, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And what you say, you've, you've mentioned so many things already that are absolutely on the nail of what I talk about now and the, and the stuff I love. The trauma piece is huge. Like one of the things I always say to people is we need to get away from talking about trauma in childhood through the eyes of adults. Like we, yeah. it's, trauma for children is completely different than tra- trauma for adults. Like my, my favorite example is ice cream. Like if a child drops an ice, when you, you know kids, if you've ever seen a child drop an ice cream and how they react, it's yeah. like the world has ended. And I was yeah. telling, I was trying to explain this to my dad a few weeks ago. And he said to me, yeah, but when you were a kid, if you dropped your ice cream, we'd just say to you, we'll get you another one. And I said yeah. to him, let me, I said to him, let me put it in context for you. I said, let's say when you were, he was retired now, but let's say when you were working, you came home from work one day and your entire house had burnt down. It's yeah. not there anymore would you feel traumatized? And he said, yeah. And I said, how would you feel if I came up behind you, put my hand on your back and said, don't worry, I'll buy you another one. Yeah. Right. And he said, it wouldn't make me feel better. I said, exactly. I went, I went, you don't see that as being the same because to you, ice cream is just ice cream. You can just buy another ice cream to a child. It's completely different. It's to the child in that moment. It's their entire world that they've lost. Yeah. Yeah, and until we yeah. start to understand that more, and your little example there, I've got, I've got another one of the big ones was which I unpicked as I went through this was, I, I remember coming home from school once and I'd got ninety five percent in a maths exam, and my mum was celebrating and so proud and said, "Go and tell your dad," and I went into my dad and I said to him, "Dad, I got ninety five percent in a maths exam in a maths test," and he said to me with a smile on his face, "Brilliant! What happened to the other five percent?" <laughs> And guess what? Guess what I turned into a perfectionist. Yep. Because ninety-five percent was never enough, ever, in anything. And even when I hit hundred percent, 
guess what? It still wasn't enough. And this is all the same. It's exactly the same issue it's been talking about, which is why I love it. The the how do you unpick it? How did I unpick it? I started to slowly ch- take things away, and this is why it it for me for me with the marriage, it's a slightly different story because that was part of, that was part of the issues, and I was taking things away in my life. But what I realized was, in the same way that adding these things to my life didn't fix it, taking materialistic things away didn't fix it either. So just I sold my law firm at one point. I was like, this doesn't make me happy. Yeah. And then even left my wife. And I was like, but I still, I always see people, it's about this feeling inside. Like if you've got this hole deep inside your soul that you need to fill and you're trying to fill it with external things, the key is figure out how to fill that hole internally. And my big thing was started working with a therapist, started working with coaches, started looking into how all of this comes together. How do we how do we become who we become as a grown up? And my big thing was we see we see ourselves as this sort of human that is us. But right until you've done any work on yourself, you are a human that was built by other people. It's like it's like you were on a car production line. That's what humanity is like. We're yeah. just built by the humans that raised us, and they were built by the humans that raised them. And all of this yeah. bullshit is just passed down through the generations. Yeah. And until you figure it out and you learn about who you are, it will never get better. And that is a process. It's as simple as that. I I think this where everyone really struggles with this is that it feels and seems so alien because when, especially for men, we still don't talk enough about this stuff, but all the women I coach just the same for them. Whereas if we talk about getting in shape physically, that's more of a common thing now. So we understand the principle of that more. If someone says to me, I'm 20 stone overweight and I want to lose the weight. And I was a personal trainer. They would understand that it's going to take some time to do that. And if they want to do it properly, they need to change their lifestyle and they need to start looking after themselves more and they need to start doing things that a fit and healthy person would do and they need to change the way they think and feel about the world. And I always use that as an analogy with this stuff. It's no different. If you want to be fit physically, psychologically and emotionally, it's like going to the gym every day. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to change the way you think about the world. You need to change the way you think about yourself first and foremost because the, the biggest thing I discovered right at the start of this was just how much I disliked myself inside. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something you touched on before about the, the magazines, hundred percent the same. And it's, you mentioned it at the start of the, of our conversation, the, like the other world, the world of people that don't really drive, strive for anything. And then there's this other world of people like you and me in the past who've we think it's better to be like, we're trying to be millionaires and billionaires and we're, Back then, I was like, oh, I'm better than those people. They, everyone can live their life whatever they want, but I'm better than those people because I'm trying to do something with my life. And now, that personal development world, I see as being really, really unhealthy because what it's doing is it's all the work I do goes back to childhood trauma and the feeling that we're not good enough. And all it does is play on that. It's like, you'll, you, you don't feel good enough, great, work harder. Mate. It's like the scenes from Wolf of Wall Street. You don't feel good enough. Make more, pick up the phone, make more sales, make more money. Yeah. And that's sold to us as the answer. And you're like, but every single person you've ever met, no matter how much money they have, I always say to people, how do you think people end up as billionaires? They keep saying to themselves, I'll be happy once I've made a million. 
and then they make a million and go, hmm, obviously a million wasn't enough. It must have been 10 million. Yeah. And that just keeps going up and up. And then I, I watch billionaires, and not all of them, obviously, this is, it's not black and white, but the number of billionaires I watch being interviewed on TV and they're dead behind their eyes. Yeah. And they yeah. can't hold down a marriage and they don't look happy. And I'm like... Or they're committing suicide. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of billionaires commit suicide because they took the trail so far and everybody else left them along the wayside. And they're like, fuck, man. I, it, it wasn't it. They're just a really high level of that. Really high level. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about um, adding things on. One of the biggest things in my coaching business that we talk about is elimination mm. and getting rid of things, right? Patterns, habits, traumas, mindsets, uh, environments, people, things that don't serve you anymore because you can't keep doing the same shit and expect a different result, right? Mm. You can't do that. It's not going to happen. You're doing that already. You're literally doing that already. And for, for you, literally talking to the listener right now, you're doing that already. <laughs> Listen to me. You're doing that already. You have to make a change. But the change doesn't come from adding more shit in. I've been a part of masterminds and seminars and coaching groups that all they did was like, it was like they, they took this bag of personal development things that have helped people occasionally along the way sometime in the past. And they're like, reaching in. Yeah, that'll work. Uh, that'll work. Uh, that'll work. And they make a curriculum. And it's the most hodgepodge shit I've ever seen. And I worked through it and I worked through it and I worked through it. But I always was missing the how. How how do I put this together? But really what I was missing is the what do I eliminate and why? Hmm. What do I get rid of and why? Because all of these things on top is like painting a junkyard car. From 50 feet away, you're like, oh, that, that looks kind of shiny and new. But you get up on it and it's still got the rat covered, you know, eaten up interior and the engine doesn't work and the tires are flat. Yeah. But all they did was paint it a shiny color. That's what most personal development people, courses, coaches, consultants, seminars, that's what they do. You want to change your life? Try my five-step thing. And your five-step thing is all addition. But you didn't clear out any of the shit from the past. You didn't clear out the trauma. You didn't even understand the trauma. Yeah. And you cannot and will not. And I know you'll back me up on this. This is this is why this is like you and I'm very aligned. You cannot and will not change your life if you do not clear the trauma, if you do not illuminate the trauma, become aware of what happened and why. Yeah. Not even why, just what happened in the story you tell yourself that's very landmark. Like, until that happens, that shit gets dragged with you like the cans on the back of a limo leaving a, ma uh, leaving a wedding, if that's still a thing. Hmm. They will always follow you. Now, this corner, they might fly out or like, or like a, a skier behind a boat. If the skier hangs on, they will stay on. The boat will drag their ass all over the place. But the moment they decide to let go, then they are, they're, they're back. And those are the things. We have to leave those things in the past. So for anybody that's listening to this and you're in that place that Paul and I were in, you must, must make a commitment to understanding what your traumas are from childhood, just like Paul was saying. And you must make a commitment to moving out of them and not giving them power and permission anymore to interrupt your present moment. That's it. Right. It's that simple said. Right. It's that simply said, not that simply done, but it actually is pretty simply done because it's just a one step at a time. It's not like give me one week and I'll, I'll clear your traumas. Every brain works differently. And, and trauma doesn't have to be trauma doesn't have to be 
like the most traumatic shit, it can be the ice cream and the way your, your parent reacted to you. You know what I mean? Like I had a mom that was very mindset of scarcity and I had a dad that was very mindset of abundance. Who do you think bought me the jet magazines and the mansion magazines? My mom bought me Playboys, which was very nice of her. But <laughs> like, like I learned to vision and to dream real big, real big. And I saw the people in those magazines. My dad didn't do this. The trauma was actually within this stuff. How would my dad know how I'm going to process, you know? But I saw these people and I saw them on the yacht and I saw them smoking cigars with a $100,000 watch on in the backyard of the mansion with the pools and the waterfalls. And I was like, they don't feel fear. They don't have anxiety. Look how peaceful they look. Look how peaceful that guy looks sitting on that jet. When I have that, I'll be happy. When I have that, no one can touch me. Because I'll be better than you. No teachers, no administrators, nobody in society. Because I won't need you. I'll have a jet. Fuck you. I'll have a jet. Fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, that was my attitude. And, yeah. I, and, I, and my, my 17-year-old mind, no joke, my 17-year-old mind before I went to college was, I, I have to set myself apart. Like, I'm the guy that's going to get these things so that I'm not in the crowd. Because here's the other trauma. I need to be loved. And if I'm mediocre or if I'm in the middle of the crowd, no one will ever see me and I'll never be loved and I'll never be appreciated or acknowledged or approved of. That was my shit because even as a high level swimmer and athlete, it was like your dad. I'm like, mom, I made junior Olympics. Okay. Well, you know, your cousin, uh, your cousin won the golf swing tournament of the, uh, of high school. And I'm like, who the fuck can? Celebrate me. This is no fault of mom's, by the way. I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying this is this is how I registered. This is what trauma that registered. Absolutely. Every time it was out there, but it wasn't toward me. And it was like, okay, well, now I have to do more. I have to build more. I have to do bigger. And I remember the one time that I got my mom's attention, like really heavy, hardcore, was I was uh, watching Jeopardy and she was cooking dinner. I think I've told this story on here before. And I answered three questions in a row and I was like 12. I just studied a lot. I just knew I needed to know things. And she turned around, turned the stove off, sat down with me and said, you're so smart. How'd you get that smart? And I felt, I felt this, this connection. Mm -hmm. Not that my mom wasn't loving. Mom was very loving. I felt this instant connection and said, if I'm smart, I am loved. I must know more than you. I must know more. There we I go. Must know more. Bingo. Right. And, and, and dude, so this is huge. Trauma, that example is huge. It's brilliant. Trauma city, dude. So I was not a great student, so I wasn't going to compete with you on grades, but I will compete with you on knowledge of the world. So we can talk about wine and cigars and yachts and mansions and jets, but we can talk about hillbilly shit like chewing tobacco and mud bogging and rock climbing and like whatever. I can, I can tear a Jeep apart and rebuild the engine. Like you name it, I can figure it out because I needed to know everything about everything so that Ian was accepted. And that I wouldn't sit in the crowd because I didn't know what the crowd was talking about. I could teach the crowd. And that was my shit. That was crazy, right? Like, fucking, it was crazy. Well, you say that, but this is something, whenever I speak to any clients now and they come to me and they say, I know this sounds stupid, I know this sounds weird, I know this sounds right. crazy. I always say to them, no. Once you understand this shit, you know it's not crazy at all. It's absolutely normal. Yeah. Like, that experience well, is absolutely normal. normal. 
it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, absolutely. And, and something I think is worthwhile saying, and because you sound like you, even the way you describe these stories, you struggle with something that I struggle with, and I think most people do who have had a nice childhood. I, I, I remember I used, to, I used to read these sort of autobiographies from people who changed their lives, and it was always like someone who'd become a huge sports star or a movie star, and it turned out they'd been abused as children. And I'd read these stories and think, God, they are... It's so powerful and it's a really powerful story. But that doesn't resonate with me at all. I wasn't abused. I had a lovely childhood. And yet I still got to my mid-30s and I felt awful and was depressed and suicidal. And it comes back to the same point. And one of the things I thought was this is a language issue. And I, I get into language a lot in the work I do. And this overlaps with being a lawyer and definitions yeah. and how do we when we say something, what do we mean? And I would say whenever I talk about trauma. I always do what you do, which is go, I don't think my mum and dad traumatised me. Like, I don't because <laughs> right. I feel really bad. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to. So I said, well, maybe we need different language for this. So why don't we just call, start calling it programming experiences? Things that happened to you when you were a kid that was a programming experience. And it, that helps it be neutral. It doesn't matter. It's not one, it's not one's fault. But something that someone said to you, the examples you've given... And the message you took from it is what's important. So I give a whole host of examples of these in the book, but one of them can just be, be a good boy. Because when you're a good boy, you feel like you are loved. And then what happens is that teaches you deep inside your subconscious that unless you're good, you are not loved. And the problem with that is we all know, and this I do a lot of work around this, our own darkness like mm -hmm. we all know we're bad sometimes we all know we have thoughts that the, the outside world won't really like well guess what the subconscious we lesson we got off mum or dad or whoever was that part of you is not acceptable and therefore you're not good enough and this what it all comes back to all the time is people like us lived our life trying to prove we were good enough trying to prove we were worthy of love trying to get that love and connection from people, the significance, and we were doing it in really unhealthy ways. And that's why all the stuff we've been talking about for the listener is so crucial to get into. Your, I love your analogy with the, the cans behind the car. The, the one I always use is, and this again, personal development criticism for the traditional personal development world, is it's like we all live in these houses and in the, the, the basement is rotten. The, the foundations are rotten and we're going to all of our neighbours, what should I do? And the neighbours say, you just keep painting your windows a brighter colour. like, but I think my house is falling down. It's like, should I, <laughs> should I go into the basement and check out the foundations? No, like, don't ever go into the basement. And They're scary, Dan. Exactly. And that's the secret. The secret is, go to where it's scary. Go to the darkest cave. That's where the treasure is. And if you've got the courage to go into there, actually, something you said as well, the, the answers are simple. I always say something else, which is, we use the word simple and easy as if they're interchangeable and they're not. Most of this stuff is simple, but it's not easy. So it's like everything else in life. Making money and getting in shape are both simple, very simple philosophies, but they're not easy. There's one of my favorite lines. It's not mine, but if those things were, e were easy, we'd all be billionaires with six packs. And it's the same with this stuff. Like it's simple. The philosophy is simple. The work is tough. Like going to the gym. You want a six pack. I can tell you how to get a six pack in 10 minutes. The philosophy is simple. For you to go and get a six-pack, it's going to take you some hard work. It's not easy. It's The yeah. question is, do you want to do the work? Right. It's, it, that, there, dude, you and I could talk for freaking hours, and we, we may need to do another interview too because you, you, we we're like super aligned. 
it's a the traditional personal development world, and this isn't an episode to trash the personal development world, but what we're saying is you have to go deeper. You must go into the basement. I'm telling you the programs, the mastermind that I've, I've been in before, it was all a paint the house, change the shutters, put new windows in, put a new roof in, like rehab the kitchen. Hey, we're going to put new wiring in. That's tough, right? Yeah, that's yeah. tough. Oh, we're going to put new plumbing in. That's tough too. Ooh, that's real. We're getting it good. But we didn't change the panel box and we didn't change the main lines. We didn't change the water lines coming in and we didn't change the main drain line going out. So everything up here looks perfect, but the shit is waiting to break. It's not sustainable. That's the biggest piece I tell people with personal development. You are more than welcome to go to anybody you want who calls themselves a coach, which 90% of them are bullshit. It's just what it is. And if you're one of those coaches that's now getting offended because you got a certificate and you think you're a life coach, well, call me and call Paul and we'll have a nice conversation about it and we'll help you. I promise. I will give you my curriculum for free and I will teach you how to coach it. No doubt. But um, you're, you, you are not living a sustainable, realistic world. It's not sustainable. Just like when a personal trainer, same thing as a personal development world coach who doesn't do the deep, but they do the surface. A personal trainer says, hey, come on in. I'll, get, I'll, I'll show you how to get six-pack abs. And they do the movements, but they don't change the wire. They don't <laughs> change the habit. So your ass is going home and eating Oreos all night because your habit of, of eating Oreos is still there and your traumas are still there based on why you eat the food you eat and how you cope. But the trainer is busting his ass training you, and you're in there six days a week, and you're like, but I'm not I – don't, don't, I'm not getting the six-pack. trainer's like, no problem. Buy another three months for me. You'll get the six-pack. Three months go by, you're jacked up up here, but the belly's not gone. I don't know, man. Listen, I, look at all these testimonials I have. You're the only one. You're the oddball. Yeah. And that person is like shit. But the thing is, if you're going to do it right, you must dig the roots off the tree. Like you must dig the roots out. You must dig the roots out. It's like bamboo. Bamboo takes five years to set up itself. And that's why it can. it's so hard to tear down. That's like trauma. It takes like from age, what, three to 12? It's being set. Traumas are being set. They're not going to come off that easy. My dad used to say to me, if you want to build a business that's sustainable, it's like building a Jeep. You cannot build a thousand horsepower Jeep that has no good tranny, good transfer case, good rear end, good drive shaft, good gearing. Like if you put all your money into the engine, then all you are is that asshole with a thousand horsepower Jeep that can't get out on the trail. And that's been me before. I had a Hummer that that I built all up. My dad's like, why are you putting all the money into like the system, the stereo system and all the engine and, and the power? You could have lower power but better gearing and you could actually do what you want to do. So don't spend, don't put a 1,000 horsepower Jeep. Build a 150 horsepower Jeep. Spend your money in the way that you get the power to the ground. That's the application. That's the yeah. matchup, right? Yeah. If power can't hit the ground, then it doesn't matter what you've got in the engine. I love that analogy. And do you know what? That's actually a really good one for the person listening if they're frightened of making change because i think one of the lessons we're taught growing up is it's a choice you, you know if you we think about the way we talk about money and success it's like you've got to pay your dues it's meant to be difficult it's meant to be hard well i tell you what i make more money now than i ever did when i was a lawyer and my life's lovely it's right. it's that lower do you know exactly how you how you put it i'm i'm not going as fast as i used to it's the it's no. the tortoise and the hare story. It's I just yep. 
my, my life is good, I feel good inside, I do things that make me feel good, guess what? The universe rewards me. So for the person listening who's like, yeah, but if I make these changes that you two are talking about, it's all right for you, Ian and Paul, you've already done it. If I make these yeah. changes, I have to sacrifice the money I make. And I always say to people now, you might not believe this because it sounds like bullshit. You can have both. They just don't teach us that. Yeah, you can have both. And it's interesting. I'm telling you every episode, I'll credit I'll credit the best training organization I've ever been through, Landmark. Like I was in the introduction leaders program and they pitched us in the beginning and said, if you want to have it all, it's this program. You want to know what it's like to have it all in your life, how to have the money and the time, how to have the happiness, the joy, the fulfillment, the sex, the relationship, the communication. It's this program. And half the room was like, bullshit, that's a sales pitch. And I said, I've already gotten so much out of you guys, I'm going to test that theory. And guess what? I took that shit. It was seven months long. It ended right as the pandemic started. My life today, I have it all. I have it all. I have the time for my kids, my time for my family, the relationship with my wife, the communication, the sex, the everything. I have the money I want. I have the businesses I want. I'm happy. I travel a lot. Like, I have it all. It is possible. And I did not have it all before, and I was upset and angry at the people that did. And that's a, that was a problem for me. Mm. But you and I are very parallel, my friend. We're yeah. parallel in our lives. But you know, that's the, but that's the best part for the world. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I mean that in a way of because we've dedicated our lives to this mission, to, to helping other people understand what it's like to remove and then rebuild or build with purpose and sustainability to actually get the life that they truly want. Mm. The one that, that you don't need anybody to come and say, great job. Yeah. You, you just fucking know it. Like I'm going to get off this podcast right now. And, and like my wife's going to be like, it was a good one. I'm like, yeah, it was a really good one. Every one of them was a good one because I'm aligned, man. Like yeah. I'm really aligned. That's, that's probably one of the keys is, is, uh, uh Understanding why the hell you're here, understanding what your mission is, because the money for most of us, like 95%, we know the money's not the answer mm-hmm. or the job is not the answer, right? You're not, your purpose on this planet is not to be a lawyer. It's not, you know, it's, it's just not, it's what you can do through being a lawyer for the world. That's the purpose yeah. or the mission. And that is misconstrued a lot, in my opinion, misconstrued. Couldn't agree more. I guess I, I would guess you've uh, you've heard the the Jim Carrey quote, which I love, which is he wishes everybody could be rich and famous for a yep. month, because then they'd yep. all know it's not the answer. Yeah, which is why going back to something you mentioned before, it's why you get and I, I've used this phrase this phrase with caution because I don't it, it can be misconstrued. But when people sort of live normal lives. It's very easy to think, to wonder why someone who's a Hollywood movie star would ever commit suicide. But it's everything we've been talking about. It's the billionaire who commits suicide. It's the Olympic gold medal winner who commits suicide. Because they get there and they're like, well, that wasn't it. What do I do now? Well, I'm checking out. I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Because of the sacrifices and the, the, the things that they've missed out on, because of those sacrifices and the things they weren't willing to do to make those sacrifices to get that goal or that, you know, what they thought was a mission accomplished, dude, it leaves you so empty. I remember the first 
like $100,000 check I brought home for the month. And I had started and made like 250 bucks my first like two weeks in the business in real estate back in 2012. And I said to Meredith, we made 250. I, I can, my next goal is a thousand. And I trained myself. I trained myself. I hit a thousand for like a couple weeks and I was like, okay, 2,500, 5,000, 10,000. Then I broke down to 7,500. I was like, now it's 15,000. You know, like it wasn't like, nope, I hit 10. Then I was like staying at 7,500 a month. Then I was like, no, don't be a bitch. Now double that, right? Because the company we worked for was like, double your goals, double your goals. But that, that, for what? Like, you're not telling me why. You're just telling me to double because your agenda is you make a lot of money off of me. Okay, well, I doubled. 15, 25, 50, 100,000. And I came home and um, this is uh, a, a story from the way of the superior man which was the guy wins like $10 million or sells his company for like 10 million. And he comes home and he's like, honey, 10, look at this check. We're freaking rich. Like never have to work again. We can go anywhere you want. And she's like, great. Did you get the milk? And he's like, what are you talking about? We can send someone to get the milk. 10 million. What are you nuts? Like, what do you do this? And she goes, uh, yeah, well, I asked you to get the milk. Like, I don't care about the 10 million. I, I asked you to do something for me and you didn't do it. And that, that was me. I looked at my wife and I'm like, 100 grand in a month. Let's go. And she's like, okay, well, your laundry's all over the place. I asked you to clean it up. And I was like, who gives a shit? I'll hire somebody. And she's like, I don't want you to hire somebody. I want you to follow through with what you say you're going to do. And so the money kept me separated from the moment and the reality that was there. Hmm. My thought process was, I don't need to do it. I don't, I don't need to do that act, but what I was forgetting about and not paying attention to was the commitment I made that morning, which seems small compared to the big money thing, which was, hey, can you pick up your clothes before you run to the office? Sure, no problem. I'll pick up my clothes. Where do you want me to put them? Can you put them in the kitchen next to the laundry machine? Sure. And I failed at that. So to her, I broke a commitment. I broke a promise. I didn't have integrity to my word. But to me, I was like, well, look at this check. I can do anything now. But it didn't match up. Again, the power didn't get to the ground. Mm. So then we fought and we fought and we fought about that. And I just didn't understand when she was like, I don't give a shit about the money. I want you to, to follow through with what you say you're going to do. And I couldn't understand that. And then you think about like a billionaire or an Olympic athlete at that very elite level who gets to that point and goes, oh, my God, it was all like pixie dust. It was all, a, it was all a, not a reality. Where do they go from there? Except major therapy, major coaching sessions, right? And there have been many that have been lucky enough or fortunate enough uh, um, to believe in personal development and believe in coaches all along. And I think, uh, I think Bill Gates may be one of those kind of people. I mean, I don't know. Forget about all the BS about Bill Gates, but he seems like a pretty grounded guy for at that level, mm -hmm. right? Or, or Jeff Bezos or, or Richard Branson. They seem like pretty, pretty decent dudes. Mm -hmm. Like they, they're out to help people. They're donating a ton of money, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on like that disconnection between the goal, 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 like kind of checkpoints, but then like what's really happening in their reality? I, th I think you, you said something just in the middle of all that, which, which was gold dust. And, and, I always say this to people when they're talking to me, when, when 
I don't know if you've ever heard this. I heard, I can't even remember where this came from, but someone said to me once, the beauty in music are not the notes. It's the gap between the notes. And I'll listen, I'll sit and listen to someone talk and someone will just drop something subconsciously out the side. And it's always just like a throwaway comment in the middle of the thing they're actually saying. And I'm like, yeah. the gold dust was the thing you dropped out the side. And in the middle of all of that, you said, as you're talking about you're doubling your income, you say, don't be a bitch. Don't be a little bitch. Come on, do it. And that's the little crucial nugget in the middle of all that. That Whilst you're saying to your wife, yeah, yeah, okay, I didn't pick up the shit off the floor, but look how brilliant I am because I've made all this money. Right. Your inner voice is calling you a bitch. Your inner yeah, voice, yeah. whilst consciously you're like, I'm great. <laughs> your inner voice is going, no, you're not. You're not good enough. Yeah, I know that was I- mom. There we go. That was mom. Yeah. It was mom. And listen, <laughs> let's go back. Programming experience. I like that a lot. It's a really cool word. That's not your trauma. It's your programming experience. Well, my mom's programming experience was from some really effed up people. And their programming experience was some really effed up people. So you have a lineage of programming that was only doomed for me. Hmm. Only doomed. And I feel very grateful and fortunate that I sit in this position today, in this moment, recording this with you as a person that has literally like completely rewritten that program. Hmm. I think, I think, I think maybe there's some deep, dark shit that I haven't like really tapped into But As far as I consciously know and unconsciously am aware of, I have, I have a very different programming experience now. Yeah. And I love the way, I love the way you put that, but that was it. That was the way that I pushed myself so that I wasn't forgotten, that I wasn't not loved that that way. I wasn't not paid attention to that way. I wasn't in the middle of the crowd. Because when I'm up here, I'm getting awards. I'm on the top of the list every, you know, the leaderboard every week. Everybody's like, oh, that's, oh, that's him. That's the top producer. That's him. I'm like, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like very arrogant, very egotistical. And it's funny because the one time, it was like a long time in a row. It was like the, the million dollar sales award, million dollar sales for the month. And I said to my wife, I'm like, you got to get the one this month. Like, I'm kind of embarrassed at this point because I don't give a shit anymore. And she's like, well, I'm not going up there. I don't care. And so I like moseyed on up. But I was like, don't make a big deal. Of this. Just give me the award. And let me sit down. And they were like, so if you want to be like him. And I'm like, shit. Now their agenda's on. Now they're pushing this to try and sell something to these people. Like, I'm a part of their game now. I'm not important anymore. I'm now a cog in their wheel. And then the trauma kind of reset and started over again. But that's when my coaching business was born. Because I said, all right, what do I do with this knowledge? I don't want to sell real estate. Why don't I teach people how to run my systems? And that's what I did. And that's how the coaching business was born. But it came from that really kind of detrimental self-talk. Don't be a bitch. Don't be a pussy. Freaking double that shit. Don't go to 10,000. Go to 15. Like, because if you go to 10, then you're going to miss 15. But if you go to 15, now 25 is in, in view, you know, but I can't see 25 from 10. And this yeah, is the point. If, you, if you're never content at 10, yeah. you'll never be content at a million. No, no. That's the point. And this, and this is the, this is the difference that people just, until you understand it, it's like, it makes no sense. But once you understand it, it's like, of course, and you can't fill that hole inside. I'm, I'm intrigued actually to hear what your turning point was and what 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 was the shift for you because that, that that I think that is such a crucial part of it that you can never fill that hole inside with a higher number 
or with another car or with a more beautiful wife or with another house and that's the problem with it and for everybody it's it's that breaking point of okay i've realized that now yeah so where where was it for you was it was it uh, you know I, I need to get therapy i need to see a different type of coach what what was it no it was uh so my a couple things my desire to learn more and know more than you and be able to regurgitate it back and teach because if i could teach it i could be above you and i could stay in the stratosphere right so that was my fucked up programming experience mm -hmm. that actually turned out to, to benefit me when i started to shift the language pattern okay. um there's a a course that i took with the real estate company that i used to be with uh called bold and I'm not promoting the course, but I'm saying it for a reason. The reason is in 2013, I took the first course of Bold. And the reason why I'm pulling up my phone is for those of you that are watching on YouTube, this background has been on my phone since 2013. This is the, this is the, um, the Bold Laws. Like what you focus on expands, there is no try. All those like little quotations be do have well the one that i really liked was your business grows to the extent that you do and i was annoyed in my business so there's twofold here to your, answer your question and i started to memorize those i set a goal to memorize those because if i don't memorize them then i'm just like you who forgets them when they're called on and i'm not better than you and i'm not loved and you know all the trauma all the program experience so i memorized those and then there was a part of me that said now i want to get them i want to understand them so honestly 2013 was really my First uh, uh, jump into personal development through that course, no joke. And then from there, I started to hire a coach and kind of go through the motions. But it was really about building my business. But really, I wanted to understand what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? So at the end of 2016, my wife came to me and said, and, and people who listen to this know this story, but for you, it's new. She said, um, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm out, like I'm done. My daughter was, you know, almost a year old. Um, now she's almost six. And my wife was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know who you are. I, you're so unpredictable. You're so like volatile. You're miserable all the time. Like we have everything we thought we wanted, but we actually have nothing in terms of depth of our relationship, our marriage, your, yourself as a father and my arrogant kind of like defiant self, which is what I was programmed as you're defiant, you're arrogant, you're egotistical, you're an asshole, you're, you're a bad kid. You're not intelligent kicked in. And I was like, okay, so what do you want to do? And she's like, I think I want to end the marriage. And I said, okay, well, listen, I'll give you everything. You can have this house, you can have the cars, I'll pay for everything. It's totally fine. That was my easy way out. No problem. Yeah, you're out. Fine. And then she started crying and she slams this pot down. And for anybody that knows my wife, she's very calm and like just very even chill. Perfect for me. And she slams this pot down and she goes, are you really the measure of a man that you want your daughter to attract in her life later on? And uh, dude, that still chokes me up. It was, it was so polarizing. Like it fucking hit me. Like she snuck in this gap this little slit that was never, no one could ever touch, but she found the fucking littlest, tiniest pinhole to get into me, mm. like into that soft center that, 
my business and my money and my success was guarding was, was all that was distracting from the work I needed to do. And, and she fucking crippled me that day. And she said, look, you can trade me in for a new model, but you can never trade her in. You're her dad. Like I can have another husband. I can have another boyfriend. She's going to always look at you. Like, and if you want to see her at 16, cause she's pretty much like you anyway, at one, like think about when she's 16, she's going to bring a guy home. If she chooses a guy or a girl, doesn't matter. She's going to bring somebody home that she's attracted to and they're going to be you now and you're going to be fucking pissed and furious and there's nothing you can do about it then, but you can do something about it now. So I suggest you start making different decisions or I have to leave. Then the second thing was the divorce attorney said to me, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, no, but it's what she wants. And he goes, well, are you literally going to throw in the towel and not even try? Like you haven't done shit to try and work on you. You've been working on the relationship and trying to change her, but it's really in you. And so he said, I'm not going to do this for you. And I'll call all my buddies and tell them, don't do this for you. What I'm telling you is she's already tried your flavor. She's not going to go for another guy like you. So who she's probably going to go for is a guy who like works in nine to five in a cubicle and like has a 401k and plays it safe and drives a Prius and like doesn't make ripples in the water. Is that who you want your daughter to have as a dad? Because guess what? Your ass ain't getting custody. You know, you're not getting primary. And dude, those, those harsh realities became audio matching the video. They became gears that started to actually turn power to the ground. And I was like, no, I don't want that. I don't want some guy telling my daughter that she needs to go to college and get a great job. That's not my life. That's not how I, that's not how my influence. Now I empower her to do whatever she wants, but that's not what I want someone to be programming her as. I want her to think about things for herself. I want her to be a very powerful little woman that can make whatever decision she wants to make. She has me to support her. And so that little girl and, and her growth and her power that I was instilling in the programming that I was, I was subconsciously giving her became my biggest reason for change. It wasn't necessarily the marriage. It was that I haven't done everything I can for this person that made a commitment to me and I made a commitment to her. I, I didn't do everything yet. So like, am I going to throw in the towel now and regret this for the rest of my life and regret that this little girl is now effective negatively because I didn't work on her myself. And that's why the last part of my mission is for a regret free life because, or no regrets is because I, I lived, I was, I was seeing the regrets that I was going to face if I didn't make different choices. Mm-hmm. And so that was those, I mean, it doesn't have to be big. But I started to see what the consequences of my decisions were going to be. And I didn't like them. And I had to make changes. And I was scared as shit to do that. Who would I be if I wasn't the top producer in coaching? You know, like, who would I be? But the evidence started to outweigh the emotion. And I started to gather evidence instead of react off emotion, right? And that's what really started to propel the momentum forward in the coaching business and make me who I am or like reveal who I am today. Yeah. Incredible. Really, really powerful story. And I think it's really interesting that those two little, they're not little at all, but two parts of that story, two incidents, your wife making that comment about your daughter, which is huge. And I can't believe you, you, you struck gold finding an attorney who cared about you as well and and said he he wouldn't do the job. That's the type of thing I used to do as a lawyer. I'd say to people, I don't want your money. I want you to be happier. 
and and that is really powerful. But I think for the person, for for the listener, for the viewer, what what's really important? We touched on this before. Is people will often say, "You will." I wasn't lucky enough to have that. Someone, no one said that to me, and it's like, but. I've I've had people who said to me, you, you something you said to me changed my life. And I always say to them, yeah. no, you changed your life. I've said that same thing to a thousand people. But guess what? Some of them did nothing with it. There were, that, that attorney will have said the same thing to other clients. And those other clients will have gone, do the job. I'll double your pay. And he's gone, okay. And this is the thing for whoever's listening or watching. This could be your moment. When you hear this thing, it's all about taking whatever you hear, whatever you learn, and in that moment go, I'm going to make the change. I'm going to have the courage to do something about this. And that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, courage, because it's hard. And that's something I don't like about lots of the self-help world again, is this idea that like, you just stand in the mirror and say nice things to yourself and your world will turn around. That <laughs> it's all like... Joe painting the windows again, painting the car. It's not, it's tough work. It's for anyone who's ever trained. It's that moment when you leave the gym and your muscles are sore and you know it's good because it's, it's doing you good, but it hurts to do it. This is that same thing just in an emotional and psychological sense. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's interesting, man. Like there's so many people out there that are capable of doing this work, but the fear is just, is stopping them just like it was for me and for you. Yeah. And they allow themselves to be distracted and avoid using these things over here. <laughs> mostly business, mostly money, mostly stuff, material possessions, uh, relationships, drugs, alcohol, things like that. But they have no idea what could be. And I think one of the biggest things for both of us, it sounds like, was that our curiosity to know what could be drove over the fear like the the level over here was just a little bit more of curiosity because nobody says there wasn't fear hmm. i was scared to shit I, mean, I just let my real estate business go like last year like this year 2021 and i was scared to shit but i i was very curious and i kept building evidence based on the curiosity i would be curious and i'd build evidence and i'd be curious and i'd build evidence can I go away for a month and, um, and, and make money? And at end of 2018, we went away for a month to California and to LA and we lived there and we still made money. And I was like, okay, evidence, check. Emotion, you do not get to say anything anymore. I just proved the theory that I can be away and make money because I, I hated having to be tethered to this city to make money. Hmm. And today my life is I can be anywhere and make money because all I need is this setup to coach and to help my podcast. And that's really it, you know, on a phone. So there's an evidence over the emotion that you have to gather that you and I did. And, and I'm telling everybody and you're telling everybody it was scary as shit. It was scary to go into the unknown, but my curiosity and your curiosity of what could be the life that it's actually like fulfilling. What is fulfillment really? Can I ever find it? Well, the answer is, yeah, I believe I can. And I'm just going to keep gathering evidence until I figure it out instead of battening down the hatches and just floating around as the storms just toss you about. And then when you get cracked on the rocks, you blame the weather. You know what I mean? Like you didn't do anything to get back into the port. Don't blame the weather. It's you. Your boat's cracked up because you didn't bring it in. So 
I think that's probably another big piece is not blaming, like taking everything on. We teach you that they teach us that in Landmark. Everything's on you. Everything is on you. The way you interpreted your parents saying this or doing that is on you. Your trauma is on you. You know? Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I was looking at some of the other podcasts. Say again. You agree with that? Your 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 programming experience is on you. What happened is what happened. Absolutely. It's a, one, of, one of the big parts. I, I split the book that I talk about now into different parts. And the first part is all about going into your childhood and figuring out where it all comes from. And the second part yeah. is about transforming your life to become who you want to be. And the first part, the first chapter of the, of the second part is take responsibility. And I noticed looking at your other shows before, you've had someone on about taking radical responsibility. I say it to everybody. Yeah. Like, it yeah. doesn't... It, it, oh, there's so many different things we can talk about in this even the way we feel about something someone someone yeah. gave me the great example once of if i have a spider in my hand most people will think that if they're afraid of spiders the, the fear comes from the spider i always go to them it doesn't because if there's 10 of us in a group and i put a spider in the middle and five people are afraid of the spider and five people aren't the fear can't come from the spider can it no because if the, if it came from the spider we'd all be afraid Exactly. Fear is inside me, and it's what I do with that fear that is is important. The programming experience, yeah, it happened. Whatever it was, and and this can sound really, really harsh for people and and difficult, but it doesn't matter how <laughs> traumatic your experience was. It's just a story from the past, and all your life comes down to. I go into this loads. It's a series of stories you tell yourself about the past and about the future, and you decide what those stories are. And and different people. One, there's a great quote by I think I think it's uh, Mike Tyson's old trainer, Kuzdemato, and he says, often people think that people who change their lives in no matter what what way, what format, they don't they weren't afraid. And you've already said it. Everybody's afraid. And Kuzdemato said that there's something like the the hero and the and the coward feel the same thing. Fear. Yeah. It's what they yeah. do with it that's different. Yeah. And that's it. That's what it comes down to. People, people will say to me, well, I'll do that when I'm no longer afraid. And I say to them, you're going to be waiting a long time. I still, there, there's still a number of things in my life where I'll, because I'm so aware of my emotions now, which I wasn't right. in the past. And I'll, I'll be walking into something and go, wow, I am so afraid right now. I've got to do, right. I, I'm going to my cousin's wedding in a few days. And I'm the, she, she's asked me to do the ceremony. I'm like the priest, basically. And she said to me a few weeks ago, well, I just thought you'd love that. That's, and I go, oh, don't get me wrong. Once I'm up there with a microphone in my hand, I'll be great. But I will be nervous as hell beforehand. And I will be open about it. I'll say to people, yeah, I'm nervous. Whereas in the past, you know, the, the old personal development will be, it's not nerves, it's excitement. You're really excited. And I'm like, I go to people now. Bullshit. You're afraid. Like, this is anxiety. And guess why? Because it's a, it's re, it's a really thing. You, if you cut, if you get this wrong, the whole wedding is ruined. I was saying to my mum the other day, I could mess up her entire wedding day. So of course, of course, I'm nervous. Does that stop me doing it? No. What it makes me do is prepare more, make sure I practice, make sure that on the day I take deep breaths. I know what I'm doing. I tell myself the story. We've done exactly what you said. I love it. The curiosity and the evidence. The evidence yeah. I've got in my head now is you you can do this. Even if you're nervous before you say your first word, you'll be okay. Yeah. 
but also sharing with the audience like this isn't my normal gig I'm a little nervous we'll we'll let other people know like oh he's not perfect either and now they're associating with you and not thinking that you're like a mess up you know like yeah I I totally understand that man it's um it's that's such a good it's such a good theory that people need to understand it's not a theory it is what it is what it is like it is exactly that trauma is not the same in everybody it's what you tell yourself about what happened that makes the difference because if you mess up your cousin's wedding and I messed up my cousin's wedding and we shared that story and my whole family is, is a bunch of comedians and they were, they were just like, everybody was laughing with me and cheered me on and were like, ah, don't worry, man. It's not a big deal. Like we don't care. It's fine. You messed up. So what? Start over. But everybody in yours is like this Roman Catholic family and, and there's like everything has to be dead on straight and arrow. And you like messed up one of the passages and all of a sudden your, your grambler steps up and goes, the entire marriage is cursed. Thanks to you. And you're like, oh my God. And they start getting pitchforks and and torches after you. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck man. Your story and my story can be very different. But what happened is you messed up a line in a ceremony. hundred percent. Absolutely. I've got, I've got a, a real life example of this. And even in my old life before this happened, people would always say to me, even my own family, my sister, I've got an older sister. She would always say to me, you always come up smelling of roses. And I, I got to a point one day where I said to her, no, I went, I just tell the story. Like I came up smelling of roses. And when you tell the same story, you tell it that you were lying in the dirt the whole time. I was lying in the dirt as well. I just chose to get up. We were, we were coming home from the, a quick story. We were coming home from our honeymoon. We were in Dubai and we, we were about to get on the plane and we tried to get upgraded on the way out. And I tried to charm them in the airport and they wouldn't do yeah. it. And on the way back, we went to check in and the lady on the desk in, in the uh, Dubai airport said, oh, you need to go to a different desk. And I remember saying to my wife, they're going to upgrade us. And we got to this other desk and they said, uh, sorry to let you know, the plane's full. So you're not getting on. They'd done the typical airline thing about overselling the flight. It was just after New Year. And we were like, right, okay. At the same time we're getting that news, there's a queue next to us. Everyone's getting the same news. And there's this yep. German guy. And he was screaming at the top of his voice. He was telling them how important he was, how he had to get home. He's got to be a lecturer in a university and he has to be there. I just took the complete opposite. I was a lawyer. I had to be back with my clients. Yeah, everyone's important. Everyone's got their own shit. And I just said to them, look, am I going to get on that plane no matter what I do? And he said, no, it's full. It's already full. Like we've already right. literally put all of the people on. You could, that man is not going to get on the plane either. So he's shouting at them for no reason. And I said, okay, well, what, what's going to happen next then? And they said, we'll give you some compensation. And I said, what will you give me? And he said, we'll give you a free meal and then you can come back tomorrow. We'll put you up in the airport hotel, three-star hotel, come back tomorrow, get on the flight. And I said, I just laughed and went, no. I went, just, I went let's just save us both time and take us to the most you can give me. Because... I know that's not the most. You're going to just offer me the basic thing first. Just tell me what the most is you can give me and we'll do that. And he, and he laughed because I laughed. And he said, yeah. we can put you up in a five-star hotel. We can, give you two re- we can give you two return flights to Dubai to use with yeah. Emirates next time. And you can, have, you can have all your food paid for until you come back tomorrow. And I said, great. Okay, we'll do that. We, went, we had another night in Dubai. We got fl- free flight. We came home and told that story and everybody said, how lucky are you? How you always land on your feet? And I said to them, 
Do you think the guy in the queue next to me, when he went home and told that story, do you think people have said to him, how lucky are you? The exact same thing happened to both of us. The same thing happened to both of us. Yeah, same thing. That dude, that's that is a. We literally could do an entire episode just on examples like that, just to let people know, because some people will be like, "Yeah, well, that, that's not that's an easy example, Paul. Easy example. The wedding thing. Nobody does that. They they hire a priest. So give me another example. We could do an, we could do literally. I tell people about car crashes. Like if you are standing on a street corner, like I saw, I was in New York City and I saw a cab come around the corner and he pulled it. He pulled it too tight and he ran over a um, a fire hydrant, but it didn't break off. The car just went up on top of it like this and was like teetering. And it was like, oh, cool. And I pulled out my phone. Like, I see the guy was okay. He just went up like this. Like, he didn't get hurt. And I pulled out my phone. I was like, oh, that's cool. I took a picture of it. And this lady next to me was like freaking out, man. But guess what? She watched 9-11 happen live Mm. in person. I didn't. Right, so my context is different. My lens that I'm seeing the world through is very different than hers. Yeah. So for her, it took her back to when she saw a cab run off the road because a plane just hit a tower, and everybody yeah. was looking up, and there was shit falling everywhere, and she was panicked for her life. Me, I was just like, "Oh, it looks like a bumper car. It looks like a, you know, it looks like a, you know, like a, a stunt car." Yeah. So this lady was in full out panic, screaming. And I was like, oh, that's fun. Wonder if he's all right. Yo, you all right? He's like, my bad. Very different stories. Very same context. Or very same what happened. Very different stories. You know, very different trauma recap. And uh, and, and, and again, like the the programming experience doesn't have to be dark. It doesn't have to be a 9-11 type extreme event. It can be the, the ice cream. It can be the ice cream. It can be your reaction to your children. Like I'm very cognizant of my reactions to them because I don't want them to be afraid of my masculine uh, response where I'm like, Oh, what the, what the hell's going on? You know, like I don't want them to be afraid of that and Mm. be traumatized by that. But I don't want to also react to where they learn how to just be passive. Like I want to teach them how to be curious and ask questions and like be inquisitive, but also stand up for themselves, but also, know when they're being a dick and back off, you know, and let somebody win because they need this right now. And you just don't need to win to win, you know? Yeah. So that's always the, that's always a, um, a, 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 des- a delicate balancing act of how do you teach kids the most serving way for them when they don't even know what the serving way for them is, you yeah. know? Couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's so powerful. Great. And that's, that's why this works so powerful, especially if you've got kids or you want to have kids. Cause that's what we, this yeah. is what we will pass on. Yeah, dude. Programming experience. Literally. I think I'm going to name this episode programming experience. I just don't want people to think it's about programming computers. Or something. <laughs> um, no, dude, that's awesome. That This has been really awesome. And um, uh, name of your book is How to Solve Any Problem in Life, The Root Causes of Everything. I think we literally nailed it today. We This was a great interview, man. Like I had a lot of fun with you and I really appreciate you being on. Like this is This is a lot of fun. Likewise. Really enjoyed it. And, and I should say as well, my, it sounds like we're on very similar missions as well. My thing is to try and help. That's why I've written the book, to help as many people right. as I can. So your listeners, can you can get the first four chapters of the book for free completely. Oh, nice. uh, no strings attached. If you just go to my website, which is paul7cope.com slash free chapters, and you can download Paul, Paul 
P-A-U-L with the number seven, C-O-P-E slash free chapters. And you can get the first four chapters see, to check it out, see what you think of it, audio or written. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe. Never hear from me again. Yeah. Completely free. I'm pretty sure you'll like it, people. Pretty sure. If you like this episode, you're going to like the book. I did. I, I literally was back to back. I didn't have a chance to look at it when you sent it to me earlier today, but I'm definitely checking it out after this conversation. So, Paul, thanks for being here, man. Really appreciate your time today. This has been a, a, a blast, real blast. Likewise. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, audience. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening.